having the wisdom of other moms can be very beneficial. Is it going to empower you or take away your power? You can do it, but also everyone needs rest days. A lot has just happened and changed in your life, like that's okay. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Carmen, and I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor. And I'm Ruth Green, an international birth doula. And this is the Having a Baby in China podcast. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. The views expressed here are the personal opinions of individuals and do not necessarily reflect any official stance or recommendation by having a baby in China. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, Ruth. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. How's it going? Pretty good. Good. Okay, so tonight we thought that we would quickly answer a couple more listener questions and then address a big question that has been asked multiple times in our different groups. So anyway, so we want to go ahead and jump right into it. We want to make sure we have enough time to get to all of the material. So Jacqueline, question number one, should a baby ever be given water in summer, like a breastfeeding Mm -hmm. or formula fed baby? Yeah, this is definitely a question that's asked a lot, especially among like nine eyes and you know, the older generation, because it's thought like you're hot, the baby's Mm -hmm. hot, and so you need to be hydrated. But something that's super amazing about breast milk, there's many things, but something that's super amazing about breast milk is that it's constantly changing. And so actually, breast milk is like 87% water. And so if your baby is under six months, of age, all the baby needs is breast milk. Mm -hmm. You don't need to add any water or any other supplements, even when it's hot. And if a baby is really thirsty and needs like a drink to like rehydrate, the baby will suck maybe just a little bit at the beginning because that's actually the thirst quenching milk. Mm. But then as the baby continues to drink longer and longer, then the fattier, thicker milk comes. And um, so that's the heavier milk. But yeah, that the first part of the feed is that thirst quenching milk. The same is actually true with formula-fed babies. You need to follow the instructions on the can of your formula that you're using. Because if you add more water, you're diluting it, and the baby's tummy is getting fuller, feeling fuller, but having less calories. And, you know, so we want to stick with the right amount of calories. Mm -hmm. Um, But after six months and when food is being given, still, if you're breastfeeding, offer more breast milk if the baby's hot and thirsty. But a little bit of water in from six months to 12 months with food is okay. Um, again, you don't want to give a lot of water because you still want the main nutrition and calories to come from breast milk. And if they're drinking a lot of water, their tummies are getting full on zero calories. Mm-hmm. So just a tiny bit of water that goes with the food and then, yeah, just continuing to to offer breast milk. So I have also heard that if the mom and the baby are together, 
you know, in, in mm-hmm. living in the same area, that the mom's body is feeling how hot the environment is mm-hmm. and will actually change the ratio. Like they'll make more watery milk in order mm-hmm. to make sure that the baby is getting enough hydration. Is that correct? Yeah. And also when a baby sucks on the mom's breast, there's actually some communication that's happening between the, the baby's mm. mouth and body to the mother's body. And so this is how also breast milk changes from day to day, from hour to hour, from feed to feed, mm. um, depending on, you know, if the baby is needing more water or higher fat concentration. or Yeah. Or, or antibi- the antibodies. I was just going to yeah. say the same thing. Antibodies for a virus or bacterial infection. Yeah. Great. Okay. So question number two is, what are the risks of Tabasco? Tabasco. <laughs> <laughs> Very dangerous. Please don't give your baby Tabasco sauce. <laughs> but is there a risk to the mom eating Tabasco sauce? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Okay. Hey, I did know. Um, did I share this? No. Well, a mother who increases the garlic intake. Okay. It changes the flavor of the breast milk. And those the study has been done that those moms that have increased their garlic intake, babies take in more milk. They drink more milk. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I wonder why. I had heard like Different cultures around the world, like say in India, eating a lot of mm-hmm. um, garlic and I mean, and Indian food is always what pops to my mind because I love Indian food so much, but um, garlic and onion and lentils and all of that, then the baby is like accustomed to those flavors. Mm. And yeah, so, yeah, 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 definitely a mother's diet, it um, changes the way breast milk tastes. And so, yes, a baby, it's a great way to expose your baby to a lot of different flavors and foods. Mm, Like have a wider, Mm -hmm. wide palate. And that's why a mother who, you know, like a baby will prefer the traditional foods or whatever foods are normally eaten in the family. Mm, mm -hmm. Okay. So the real question that I was trying to say is, (laughs) What are the risks of tobacco on breastfeeding? So whether firsthand smoke to the mom and then she's breastfeeding or secondhand smoke directly to the baby, how does tobacco affect the milk and baby? Let me just touch briefly about secondhand smoke. I haven't done a lot of personal research on this. Just talking with like pediatrician, you know, we did an interview with Dr. Layla a few weeks ago in the podcast and there are a great number of risks of secondhand smoke for children or or all people. Mm -hmm. And so definitely it's advised, if at all possible, to not smoke around your children. But Dr. Layla was mentioning that actually secondhand smoke seeps from the person who smokes for hours after, you know, you actually even put the cigarette out. And so... Yes, again, if at all possible, try and quit. Now, talking about breastfeeding and smoking and the nicotine getting in the breast milk, um, there are some known risks Mm -hmm. because nicotine does go into the breast milk and so the baby will be exposed to it. Even just looking directly at breast milk, 
nicotine does go into the breast milk and it does affect um, the mother's supply. Okay. Nicotine affects the hormone prolactin, which is the milk-making hormone. And so many smoking mothers, comparing to those who aren't smoking, their milk supply is lower. Another thing is nicotine changes the taste of breast milk. Hmm. And so oftentimes a baby's appetite is affected because of that. Nicotine can also increase vomiting and nausea in the baby. Typically, this is seen when a mother is smoking a lot of cigarettes, like 20 or more a day. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that's noticeable is it's a stimulant. The nicotine is a stimulant. And so the baby can react to that, increasing the baby's heart rate and the baby can be more agitated. And this disturbs the baby's sleep. It can be harder for the baby to go to sleep and sleep well. And it also increases the risk of SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome, also known as crib death. Another big um, side effect is it interferes with the baby's lung development and can increase the baby's risk of developing lung infections. Um, so these are these are all things to consider with smoking and nicotine getting into the mother's breast milk. But let's say a mother is really struggling with quitting to smoke. Mm -hmm. Should she consider to continue to breastfeed or start breastfeeding? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Oh, interesting. The research says that actually the benefits of breastfeeding outweigh the negatives of nicotine in breast milk and smoking. As I said, nicotine in breast milk can increase the baby's risk for SIDS. However, breastfeeding has, is known to decrease SIDS. Mm -hmm. And there's been studies to show babies who are being breastfed versus formula feeding of mothers who are smokers the SIDS rate is actually lower in breastfed babies than those who are not being breastfed. So there's things like that, that yes, if you are struggling to quit smoking, it is still encouraged for you to breastfeed your baby. So things to help decrease these negative side effects. One is to try a nicotine patch or the nicorette, or, you know, like the gum to help decrease your desire and to decrease the amount of smoking you actually do. Those are found to be safe or safer option. There are some drugs that are not recommended and actually are counterindicative of breastfeeding. Also, if you're going to smoke, you want to smoke immediately after a feed. And here's why. Nicotine goes immediately into the bloodstream and into breast milk, but then dissipates. And it takes um, about two to three hours for a half-life. So the nicotine is significantly decreased two to three hours after a smoke. And so babies typically go every two to three hours. So if you feed your baby and then, you know, 
go to a separate place, hopefully well ventilated outside away from the baby and have a smoke. And then, you know, like two hours later, you would then would breastfeed. And actually this is similar if you're going to be using gum to help decrease smoking to curb that sire. It's similar. There is some nicotine. However, the concentration is much less from the, the gum than the actual like cigarette. So it is much safer. But again, just on the safe side, you would want to chew that gum, you know, immediately after a feed. Okay. So what you're saying is that the medicines like bupropion or I don't know how to say this other one. There's one that's like a ver- vericillin. Yep. Vera. Varenicillin. That is contraindicated with breastfeeding. So those ones you should not take. Mm-hmm. But then the nicotine patches or gums, things like that would be seen as a, um, if they help you to stop smoking, then they're seen as kind of a an okay option to help with that. That's less risky to the baby than smoking itself. Yes. And then if you do smoke... Then to wait at least two hours, did you say? Yeah, mm-hmm. at least two okay, hours. Okay, so if you do smoke, wait at least two hours because hopefully most of the nicotine is out of your system and not in the breast milk anymore. Mm-hmm. However, if a mom is smoking, it's still seen as better to go ahead and keep breastfeeding than to offer formula instead because they would still be getting the secondhand smoke exposure, right? Like if a mom is smoking, whether or not she's breastfeeding, yeah. she's still going to be exposing secondhand smoke to the baby. Yeah. And there's there are studies that show that actually even a smoking mom, the breast milk decreases the risk of SIDS. Oh, interesting. Okay. So if you have two smoking moms, mm-hmm. one mom is breastfeeding and one mom is giving formula, you know, smoking increases SIDS and also formula increases SIDS. So the mom that's giving breast milk mm-hmm. is actually helping to decrease the risk of SIDS. Okay, great. Thanks. That was really informative. Okay, so our main topic today, which is in response to a question that's been asked many times in our various groups, and I've actually wanted to address it for a while, but we wanted to be able to address it well. Yeah, it's definitely, we've talked about it since we talked about starting this podcast. Is like, oh, we need to try and tackle this, this topic. Yeah. So the question is, what is a USL? What is a USL center? And do I want one? <laughs> so Jacqueline, I think before we can answer this question, Just because we don't know how much background information our listeners have on this topic, can you explain what is the Zoe Uedza? Yeah. So, yeah, the USL, before we can explain what a USL is or who a USL is, we need to talk about the tradition in Chinese culture and many Asian cultures um, for this Zoe Uedza, which is literally translated the sitting month. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's this practice done in many Asian cultures where after a mother gives birth, they rest for a month. And so there's different practices even among like different Chinese and Korean and um, Southeast Asian countries. But the general idea is to, you know, stay in bed and rest. (laughs) And actually, I've really 
fallen in love with this tradition. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, mm-hmm. just like the beauty of this, how like the family comes around, this new mom who's just, you know, gone through this very physically draining nine months of growing a baby and then birthing a baby. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in the mother's body. But then also to have this time for the mom and the baby to bond, establish breastfeeding. I think traditionally it came from, you know, time when where, where life was harsher. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't heating, they didn't have food, and a lot of babies didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And so they just tried to protect mom and baby so that they could have the best outcome possible. Yep. And so that historical context for it is really important because it comes along with a lot of restrictions, especially people that are following it very closely. And a lot of these restrictions come from a time period before what most of us are experiencing. So for instance, like you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of heating and there certainly wasn't hot water. In fact, even when we came in 2008, which is not that long ago, it was still very, very common. And I think it is to this day for people to shower at work because that would be the only place that had hot water. Individual homes didn't have hot water. Like our local helper would always shower at our house because it had hot water. So if you can imagine a time where you didn't have good heating and you didn't have good insulation and the food that you had was very limited, right? Yeah, and there's no refrigerators to keep things, Mm -hmm. you know, produce from going bad. Yeah. And so moms were generally not allowed to go outside. And in more extreme conditions, and this still happens today, they're often not even allowed to get out of bed. So they would be given a bedpan. The baby would be brought to them to breastfeed. uh, And they're expected to just rest for 30 days. Uh, Definitely no showers, no cold water. You don't brush your teeth because brushing your teeth invites cold into the body. No washing your hair. No washing your hair. You're not supposed to even hold your baby in some cases. And this one is interesting. You're not supposed to be emotional because again, that's messing with the energy in the body. And so you're not supposed to cry a lot or laugh a lot or anything like that. You're supposed to just kind of have this calm, quiet, place of healing for 30 days. And so uh, you and I have talked about this before. Like, I think a lot of my initial reaction was just to be like, that's crazy. Like, and we'll just want to throw it all out the window and go as far as I could in the other direction. And, and I personally found that I suffered, you know, the first time I had a raging case of mastitis. The second time I started hemorrhaging, you know, um, actually the fourth time I ended up Mm -hmm. with mastitis again, directly due to wearing myself out. Yeah. Pushing too yeah. hard and trying to do too much. Exactly. And I could tell. Definitely Western cultures really like encourage like as a mom, mm-hmm. you're a warrior. You can do it all, <laughs> which totally we can. <laughs> all you women out there, you can. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take time. Yes. Like We can take time. You can do it. But also... Everyone needs rest days. Yes. And this is a good time 
to take some rest days. Yes. And so what I always explain to my clients is if it's a situation where mom and baby are actually given the space to grow and heal and bond together, like that's beautiful. If it's the kind of situation where baby is removed from mom and all autonomy is taken away from mom, then like that's not, (laughs) that's not a good situation physically or mentally. And then another consideration, I was just reading some research on it today is that there actually does seem to be some evidence that, again, in the more strict occurrence of this, there is less muscle strength and muscle rebuilding by the end of the month. So we really do Mm. encourage mom to get up and walk around and get some vitamin D and breathe some fresh air and, you know, like moderate. You don't have to (laughs) walk 5K, but, you know, a little stroll around the building. Getting outside, you know, also, you know, what the weather, what's the weather like, but. And again, you know, your emotions are normal and there's a lot of hormones that are going on. And so, you know, again, like moderate emotions, is that's fine. If you are finding yourself in the depths of, you know, like the, the super, super low lows and the super high highs, like then that's a concern that needs to be addressed as well. But if it's just like, you know, you're having a little cry because a lot has just happened and changed in your life. Like that's okay. Or if, you know, you're enjoying this new life and, you know, somebody tells a funny story and you're laughing, like that's okay too. (laughs) You can laugh, you can cry. Um, But of course, yeah, we want to be aware of like those really low lows or really high highs. So, okay. So that's the background on what Zoyuetz is, which probably could be an episode all on its own. <laughs> but the reason we're talking about that is because then there comes in this term, which is called USL. And so a USL is a trained person that specializes in infant and mother care during this postpartum period. Okay. So in Western cultures, we have something called a postpartum doula, but a USL is really similar to that, but they specialize like in this culture of Zuoyuedza, right? So it's not just that they're there to care for mom. It's they have studied specifically this culture of resting for a month and all of the different foods you should eat and the belly binding and, you know, different traditional customs so that they can provide them to the mom and the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you were saying, they will make food that's like specific postpartum food, mm-hmm. usually lots of fish, Things that are high in iron, like liver or pig's feet, a lot of soups. Yes. They want to, you know, have the mom like drink their weight in soup. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super curious if the pig's feet actually helps with milk production because that's why you're supposed to eat it, you know, off the top of your head. Traditional food is great. Like when building some milk supply, like I never would say, oh, yeah, that doesn't do anything. Mm. Now, is there, like, scientific evidence to say that this specific food does increase milk? There's very limited, if any, with that. But just generally, the food is not going to hurt. And, I mean, there's reasons why they've always given this. And, like, you know, maybe there's things that we don't understand Mm. or Mm -hmm. know the science behind it. So... Yeah, like if you want to, you know, follow your, you know, tradition. I know that every culture has traditions. Like India has their the special food that they serve, and Koreans have their special food, and of course, you know, Chinese have their special foods. And 
I think it's it's great. And like being a well-nourished yes. mother will help the mother's body heal and to produce milk well. So, And I think having home-cooked meals at the ready is going to be really helpful too. Because if you don't have that and you're tired at the end of the day, then you're much more likely to just yeah. order and take out or whatever, right? So yeah. even just in that, it's going to be a lot better. Yeah. In Western cultures, a lot of moms are by themselves and so they have to make their own food. So, you know, having a USA come mm-hmm. and help prepare food is is great. That's one less thing that you have to worry about. And that, you know, and that's something that they do. They also, you know, help care for the baby. And so this is where it can get a little tricky. If your goal is to exclusively breastfeed, sometimes some of the practices that USOs have actually are counterindicative to breastfeeding. So it actually hinders breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they like to take the baby away, Um, especially at night. They'll say, oh, mom needs to sleep during the night, so I'm going to take the baby at night, and I'll feed the baby a bottle so mom can sleep. You know, maybe they'll say, well, you should pump, which is better than nothing, but actually pumping in the middle of the night is not actually any easier and oftentimes harder than actually just yes. breastfeeding the baby. One, because a baby can be much more efficient mm-hmm. at removing milk than a pump is. Um, but then you also have to handle and deal with these bottles and the pump parts, and which the, I'm sure the USL will come and help take those mm-hmm. things. But still, like you have to like get up, whereas you know, hopefully the USL can just bring the baby to you and you're laying in bed and you can breastfeed the baby and then they can help take the baby and put the baby back to sleep or, you know, whatever, whatever their your sleeping arrangements are. Mm-hmm. And that is actually much more restful for the mom than, you know, having to get up and turn lights on or, you know, to be able to get the pump on and get the settings right and and all of those things. So and hold it. Like I feel like a pump you kind of have to hold in the right position. Yeah. Whereas a baby after the first few days, like a baby once they're latched well, they kind of hold themselves on. They're not letting go of that nipple till they're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to pump well, actually you should have what we call like hands-on pumping. So you're using your hands to help massage your breast to help encourage more milk flowing where, you know, you do that with babies sometimes, especially if they're really struggling with breastfeeding. You can do some hand massage to help encourage the milk to flow and the baby to remove more milk, but it's not the same as like a pump. So, but there are some USLs that, you know, they do um, really help. And most, I think, do say that they encourage and they know Mm -hmm. breastfeeding and they want to help. And some are really, really great and knowledgeable with helping moms get breastfeeding started and going well. Mm -hmm. But there are some dangerous things to look out for. Like one would be if a USO is saying, okay, breastfeed your baby. Okay, it's been five minutes. Now you need to stop. Mm -hmm. And now you need to pump after every feed. That's a red flag and something that isn't evidence-based and can cause actually a lot of problems down the road. You know, so there's two problems. One is timing the baby. Like setting a time limit on a baby at the breast is is not good. It's something we want to keep an eye on just to see like how is the baby doing? Is the baby Mm. removing milk? 
But to limit the baby, you know, some babies take longer. Mm -hmm. So if you're only allowing the baby to nurse for five or 10 minutes or, you know, most babies aren't done. (laughs) They're not going to be full. And then when you're pumping after every feed, let's say the baby is actually feeding well and removing milk. And then you're pumping after that. It's actually telling your body to make the double amount of Mm -hmm. milk the baby actually needs, which can cause a lot of issues that we could go on and on and on things like, which is another episode in itself. So (laughs) maybe we won't go there right now, but. (laughs) So one thing to be aware of is that they don't always do housework. So you would just want to ask about that, right? Like, yeah, don't just assume, okay, I'm going to hire this one person and they're going to clean the house and take care of the baby and take care of me. So it's important to discuss with them what are the duties that they will be providing and what will they not be providing so and of course you can hire them full-time they can live with you they could be part-time or you could choose to live in a usl center so the next thing i'm going to talk about is what is a usl center so again to talk about the usl center we have to talk about the history <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd uh okay so again going back to that so you had a practice that has been going on for as long as we know in Asian culture. It's the societal expectation that the mother-in-law would come and live with the mom that just had the baby and take care of them and provide all of these things that we just talked about. So they're supposed to cook the meals and teach the mom how to take care of the baby and take care of the baby and all of that. And for a number of reasons, whether it be personality or finances, or maybe the mother-in-law is still working and not able to take that much time off work or just lives too far away. I mean, there's just so many different reasons why that might not be the most convenient thing to do. And so this USL center idea kind of sprung up. I feel like rather recently, like I first started hearing about it about 10 years ago. I'm sure that it's been around longer than that, but I feel like it's a rather recent development. And what this does is it kind of fulfills that obligation that the mother-in-law would normally fulfill. So for instance, I actually knew someone who was telling me that they didn't want the mother-in-law to come. And I think the mother-in-law like either didn't want to come or was just really supportive of that. And yet societally, it was so expected that she come that she told her friends and neighbors that she was going to take care of the mom and the new baby, but she actually was going on vacation. So everybody thought that she had gone to fulfill, right, her societal duty Mm. But nobody in the actual family wanted that to occur. And so instead, she went on vacation. Mm. And so this USL center kind of fulfills this obligation that maybe people don't actually want. And so instead, the mother-in-law, father-in-law can pay for this USL center. So the mom and the dad or just the mom would go and live in the USL center and it would provide all of these different things. So it's kind of like a it's a live-in. It's like living in a hospital. I feel like maybe that's not the right thing to say. It's like a hospital, but it's it's usually nicer, like yeah. more set up like a like a family room. Yes. You know, more comfortable bed, um not just like a hospital bed, but it's a transition from the hospital to your home. Yes. You know, so it's it can be part 
of a hospital, like a section off of the hospital, or it could be a standalone facility that you like go to this other place. And so they have staff working there and there's people always there to, you know, on call to help. But it's not as obtrusive like a hospital room would be. Yeah. And if it's part of a hospital, then they are also going to have like all of the medical facilities available, you know, in case anything were to come up that you would need. Yeah. And so you can choose how long that you live at it. So it might be a week, might be two weeks. I've heard even like 60 days, like they can, you can kind of choose how long you want to stay. They're quite expensive. Yeah. I mean, as you can imagine, they are, but they're, they're really quite expensive, but uh, some people find them quite worth it. I know this is like super popular in Korea mm. um, and they've been around for a long time. It's definitely not exclusive to China. It's uh, something that has, you know, like all of this, it's more about Asian culture than it is about specific to China. So I think a couple things to consider about whether you would want to move into a USL center is one personality. So are you somebody who tends to rest better at home or in a foreign environment, right? So I think that there are some of us who, myself included, struggle to like turn off our brains at home, right? So if I'm at home, mm. yep. like I love to go and stay in a hotel, right? Because if I'm in a hotel, I'm not thinking about, oh, I need to do the laundry or I need to tidy up this area or whatever, right? I'm just enjoying the hotel. Whereas at home, all of these other tasks are constantly intruding. But I also have friends that are like, no, I, I don't want to stay in a hotel. Like I don't rest while there. It's a foreign environment. There's foreign noises. I just want to be in the comfort of my own home. And so I think that that's an important thing to factor in. And then another one is like, yes, there are positives of having a medical team like on the ready available, but I've also seen that they're also much more ready to jump to interventions than you normally would in a different environment. And so yeah, maybe like there would be more interventions that maybe they are not needed. Yeah, because every intervention comes with its own positives and side effects or risks. And so we don't want to just jump to, okay, let's do this treatment because we can and it's here and it's convenient. Like we need to still analyze whether something is truly needed or not. And when it's in the environment you're at or if like literally they could just walk in and take the baby, right, and take them off to do an intervention and and you're asleep, so you don't notice it, right? I've heard of this happening. So mom's asleep and they decide baby needs something and they walk in and like take baby and go do this intervention that you didn't really have a choice over, right? Like that would be a concern of mine. And then I think another big one is really similar to what you were talking about earlier, because, you know, it's the same idea, whether it's a USL at home or a USL center where you live is, are they truly supportive of breastfeeding or will you be under constant suggestions of offering formula. So if I'm at home in my own home and the baby is crying, I'm not really thinking about what are other people thinking. And I'm not going to have somebody walking in the room with a bottle saying, here, why don't you just try that? <laughs> right. Uh, whereas if I'm mm -hmm. in this environment, I mean, even when I stay in a hotel and my kids are making noise, I'm much more aware of like, oh, am I disturbing anybody? Is somebody going to be bothered? Am I going to get a call? You know, whatever it is. And so yeah, just are you going to feel pressured to do things a certain way because you are living in their space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that one, Jacqueline? Yeah, just how like there's not a lot of information on breastfeeding and how it like 
actually physiologically works um, and how to support it. Yeah. And actually how giving formula actually harming the breastfeeding relationship Mm -hmm. when they're like, because they'll often just come in and say, oh, you don't have milk. Look. And they squeeze your nipples. (laughs) And they're like, see, look, you don't have any milk. So now we need to give formula. When actually that, that doesn't help. They're like, we need to wait. And then your milk will come in later. Yeah. But actually what's what's critical is to bring baby to the breast and let baby suck at the breast because that is what's going to bring the milk. Yeah. You know, to have the mature milk come in. So yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding of breastfeeding in the medical field. There just isn't a lot of education, even in Western medicine among most medical staff, mm. you know, obstetrics and nursing staff. And like, even if they are trained to work within postpartum, even with pediatricians, there's just not a lot of education given. Yeah. I will say it is increasing and I'm I'm really excited to see this coming, but it is very slow and still very few. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, most medical staff they just don't understand the physiological, you know, how breast milk is made, how it comes, and how to establish a good milk supply for the baby. I mean, Dr. Layla talked about it mm-hmm. as an American pediatrician. She said that when she graduated and took her board exams and everything, and then she went and had her own baby and realized that she was taught next to nothing <laughs> about the actual physiology of how breast milk, like how the supply is built and the dyad, this relationship between the infant and the mother and how important it is to have them skin to skin and in close proximity all the time, you know? And so I think that that's always one of my biggest concerns about one of these locations is, are they going to be truly supportive of keeping mom and baby together all the time? Or is it going to be more of a, well, mom needs to rest, so let us take the baby? Yeah. Or even just understanding like how best to support breastfeeding and how to get a baby to latch Mm -hmm. and how to help support a mother to bring a good milk supply in for her baby. And so, yeah, some of those questions to look into, whether going to a USL center or hiring one for your home. Some questions to ask is, did she breastfeed her own baby? Mm -hmm. How many clients has she helped exclusively breastfeed? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's looked at these USLs that are, you know, really old and they're like, they have so many experience. Maybe they're not old, but they have a lot of experience. But what kind of experience do they have? Is it just formula feeding or is, do they have experience and knowledge in breastfeeding? Mm-hmm. And this actually can be tricky because some of the questions like when you ask and talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been trained in like breast massage. Mm. This is different than lactation knowledge. There is some evidence behind the Chinese 
acupuncture, acupressure, and helping with breast um, milk production, but they have to be very well trained. And there's a lot that there's not a standardized training. So asking someone what training they have isn't you know necessarily the question to ask. Mm-hmm. It's more of I would really rely on word of mouth. Yeah, more in, in these situations because actually some breast massages can be harmful. Yeah, because they're damaging breast tissue. Because they're so rough on the breasts. Mm-hmm. And there's a belief that like your milk won't come in unless you get this massage. Mm. But sometimes it's like just timed perfectly. The, they come and they give that breast massage in the morning of the third mm. day. And then that night, the breast milk starts oh, you're you right. know, flowing. <laughs> and they're like, oh my goodness, this breast massage like caused my milk to come in when actually it was, oh, you've reached 72 hours and now the progesterone dropped out of your body. <laughs> and so therefore your milk has come in and it is flowing, but it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So then I also have concerns about like the mental and the physical support of the client. So for instance, again, speaking to like what we were talking about before, vitamin D and fresh air and having autonomy and being able to do what you like are very important. And so, you know, if it's the kind of environment that's really supportive and able to help you get the rest and the support that you need, actually there is evidence to show that you could have like lowered cases of postpartum depression according to a study I was reading today. Mm. However, if you are being restricted physically and not allowed to move around very much and you're kind of stuck in a room, especially in COVID times, like thankfully we are out of that, but I don't know if, I don't know if restrictions have changed as far as USL centers or maybe not restrictions, but just policies. I don't know if they have changed yet, but during COVID times, like you weren't allowed to leave this very small area for 30 days, right? Because every time you would leave, you'd have to get a new COVID test. And so you were like stuck in this very small area. In most cases, not really supposed to be like interacting with the people around you because again, COVID exposure. And so if you're not getting just even that basic level of exercise and exposure to vitamin D and fresh air and all of that, then you're not going to physically recover as much. And so just looking at what kind of restrictions will they have and how will they react if you disagree with those restrictions or if you want to do something differently. So I think a couple questions that I would ask is I would like to bring my own food. Do you have any restrictions on what I'm allowed to eat or what I'm allowed to bring into the facility? And then another question to ask would be if I disagree with how myself or how the baby's cared for, like how would you respond to that? What would be the protocol on how we would resolve that disagreement and would I really have ultimate authority on what happens? And I think really importantly is to ask open-ended questions if you have the ability to communicate well with them, especially because if we ask just a simple question like, can I take a shower? And they say yes, that doesn't really show us how they think about it. And they might just say those sorts Mm -hmm. of like yes, no answers to sell you a product, right? But if you can get them to actually talk about it, then as they describe the activities that their clients normally participate in or 
the different kinds of foods that they provide or whatever, you can get a feel of what the facility is like. Yeah. So asking questions that require more than a yes or no answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I think you said this, but, you know, asking the activities that Mm -hmm. would they allow you to walk around or shower or, you know, order food in or, mm-hmm. or things like that. And then also asking what kind of role a partner has and are they allowed to be there and what can they do? And yeah, I think these questions are hard to get like a good feel mm-hmm. for because again, they are trying to sell their service to you. And so I think they can tend to be agreeable but then in the situation, maybe um, mm-hmm. you're finding that they aren't as willing to work with you or open to your ideas or your suggestions mm-hmm. or, you know, and sometimes you don't even know how you're going to feel until you're actually in the situation. Very true. So with all of that in mind, I think some things to consider before hiring a USL are what kind of personality do you have? And will being in an environment like that bring you more stress or will you find more support in it? And, you know, through the different conversations, how do you feel about it, right? Are you feeling like you're pressured into it because you feel like you don't have another option or maybe your partner really thinks you should be there, but how do you actually feel about it? And then if you are in the center and things aren't going the way that you want it to go, or if you have hired somebody, right, and they're not doing things the way that you would like them to be done, how will you handle that? Are you the type of person that will just kind of, because I know I am, right, kind of just shut up and like go along with it and not voice things or yeah. or make changes and then kind of be bitter about it? I might be speaking... <laughs> about myself here? Or are you the type of person that's like, no, I'll take what they offer. I'll, you know, I'll take the support and I'll be able to kind of just let everything else just, you know, run off my back. And some people work really well. Like they can say, no, this is how it's going to go. Yeah. This is what I want and be firm about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think also, you know, considering the USO's personality, like how will they handle Mm -hmm. that? Will they say, okay, and go along with it? Or will they say, okay, and do it behind your back anyways? (laughs) Or maybe they would just say, no, this is the way it is. This is how it must be. Because I know, like, I have this training and this is, you know, you've never had a baby before, so you don't know. And so that kind of voice that's, you know, always saying like, oh, you don't know, you don't know, can be very draining. Yes. And make you feel this is a time that you as the mom should be feeling empowered Mm. because you are this baby's mother. Yes. And that baby is yours and you're, you know what's best. Now, sometimes, you know, don't have all of the education. And so, you know, you learn from other areas, but this is a time for you to get more comfortable and confident Mm. in your ability to be the baby's mom. Yeah. And so that's something that you're wanting to see with the USL is, are they empowering you? Or are they taking your power away? Yes. And another thing is, are you and your partner on the same page? So do you feel the same way about the situation? And 
if something comes up, is your partner going to support you in what you want? Or are they going to kind of slide into that kind of, well, they're the medical professionals, so just do what they say. Because there's all sorts of cultures around the world and all sorts of different personalities. Our partners have different personalities and different backgrounds and stuff too. So I think that it's really important to have discussions ahead of time that if this is not going in a way that makes me feel empowered, if I feel like that autonomy is being stripped away, will they support you in changing the situation or ultimately getting out of the situation. I think that's with anything like that's not just that's not just USLs or centers yeah. that's with right. relatives and community and everything. I mean, with your cleaning IE like yes. I like my things put away like this and you're not doing mm-hmm. that or <laughs> yeah. So what are some alternatives, Jacqueline, if somebody doesn't feel like they want to hire a full-time USL, or they don't want to live in a center, but they also feel like, okay, I'm having a baby and I know nothing about what I'm supposed to do and I know I'm going to be overwhelmed. Right. And sometimes like somebody wants to have a USL Mm. and maybe it's just not financially possible. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, COVID restrictions are, I think, all but gone. I don't know as of today, but, you know, I think testing and stuff is definitely, like, going away. So uh, visas are now being issued or at least reinstated. Mm -hmm. So having a family member come Mm -hmm. would be great or not. Like, it depends (laughs) Depends on your family member. How well you get along. Yeah. Um, But I think even, like, a short-term, like, thing, you know. Mm -hmm having extra pair of hands to help with the cooking and cleaning and, you know, changing diapers and make, yeah. So a family member is a great mm-hmm. option. Another would be like just a cleaning eye. Mm. So maybe you can't hire like the expensive USL, but having someone come to your house and clean and cook or mm-hmm. whatever it is that, you know, do the laundry, that can be extremely helpful. Yeah. They're much cheaper than a, a USL. Yeah, I think that also taking classes ahead of time so that you feel more confident in baby care and in breastfeeding and and you understand more than just like the basics so you can feel confident in taking care of the baby. I think that that could be really helpful. So maybe paying for a few classes or yeah, hiring a childbirth educator that... Yeah, a postpartum doula. Yep. You can hire a postpartum doula, right? That maybe... I don't know if they're cheaper. Yeah, I don't know. Like if financial is the thing, maybe this isn't your option, Mm -hmm. but maybe like the cultural, you feel like maybe you would mesh culturally with a postpartum doula more than a USL. Mm -hmm. That's a possibility. But you could also hire a postpartum doula virtually. Yeah. Or just, you know, like to be able to connect once a week. Mm Mm-hmm. I had a client do that and they really liked it because it was like they had somebody on call. So they had weekly meetings where they would kind of just do like an update and discuss like how baby had changed and all of that. And the virtual postpartum doula could by virtual, we're talking about a real person, but on the other side of the computer rather than in your home, right? Not a robot. (laughs) Or it could be an in-person, maybe you like work out, you know, a situation with an in-person postpartum doula, but it's not like someone that comes and lives with you or stays long hours but yeah I just meant it's not chat GDP (laughs) 
right? Like an actual person. But anyways, they would have weekly calls and they would kind of go over baby's progress and how baby's doing and activities they could do with baby. And they could ask any questions that had come up. But then they also had them on call. So if they had any moments where they're like, ah, something's happening and we don't know what's going on, is this normal that they could call that person on demand? And so, yeah, I think that that actually could be a real good option for somebody who really wants the autonomy of being in their own home with their partner and creating like their own little nuclear family, but also needs that professional input as things come up, you know. And I know some people that have hired a USL just like during these hours, Mm -hmm. you know, for these days, maybe not like the full live in 30 days straight, but you know, like Monday through Friday from eight to five or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that one of the things that was most helpful for me, Jacqueline, was, well, honestly, you. (laughs) Like, I mean, my mom was here too, and that was really good. But having you who had had a baby, just, I guess Lucas was born 10 months before Liz, and he was your second. So you had experience. And so like, (laughs) I even remember the first time, this doesn't have to do with the first few weeks, but I do remember the first time my baby got a fever and you were like, well, it's okay. Like babies do that. I'm like, what? I don't need to go to the hospital. I don't need to do this. And, you know, just creating that normalcy. Uh, And actually I was incredibly blessed that it wasn't just you. Like you were the one that was closest to me, but there were actually several of us that all had babies within a year. And to Mm -hmm. have that normalcy around me of, oh, this is how a baby develops. And this is what you know, I feel like I'm exhausted, but they are too. And we have different struggles, but similar struggles. Yeah. I think that I was incredibly blessed by that. And if people can create that in any way, like if you can just create some sort of mom's circle where you're able to just talk about what's going on, that can be a huge support. Yeah. I know like here there's like a baby's mom's group, you know, they meet at like the local school, Mm. you know, once a week. Um, La Leche League, this is actually why it was made, mm-hmm. you know, that it came about in the 60s was because of these moms needing support. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, you know, specifically with breastfeeding support, but breastfeeding is more than just feeding. Yes. It's also like you're dealing with the baby that's growing. And so like having these other moms to be able to look at and be like, oh, you're dealing with that too. Oh, I'm really struggling with this. Is anyone, oh, you, oh, and just Mm -hmm. like having the wisdom of other other moms can be really Mm -hmm. very beneficial. And I think, you know, we have WeChat groups that, you know, it's not the same as in person, but it still is very valuable of being able to ask your question, whatever it may be. And, you know, another mom be like, oh, yeah, I have that. Or, you know, like someone else would say, oh, I've tried this or have you tried that or, you know, whatever. Yeah, we just had that happen in our group today, right? Like a mom brought up a concern about her baby. And within, I don't know how many minutes, it was it was really cool to see the other moms chime in and say like, hey, yeah, we're struggling with this too. Here's the things that we've tried, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's normal. Yes, it's hard. Here's some things you can try. We're here to support you. I think it's really cool to see. So, well, Jacqueline, just like we knew, this was <laughs> this was going to be a long episode. <laughs> um, but just to sum up, 
There are some really great things about Zoyueza, about USOs, and we definitely want moms to have the support that they need. Like not just the moms, the whole family yeah. to have the support that they need. Yeah. And so I think it really boils down to is this going to actually make you feel I loved how you said that. You said, is it going to empower you or take away your power? Right. So whether it be your mother-in-law, whether it be <laughs> a USL, whoever it might be. Is it going to empower you or is it going to take your power away? So yeah, feel free to ask more questions, shoot us private messages, chat about this in the groups. I think this is a really important topic and one that we could continue talking about. Yeah. And I think considering like getting a USL, I think there's a lot of great ones out there. I've worked with many clients that are like, oh yeah, this, my USL really helped. And so I think... I'm really excited to hear those, Mm -hmm. you know, those stories. I think it's just, you know, you want to be careful Mm -hmm. because there are some not great ones. And so, yeah, not only considering your own personal, like personality and things, but also them Mm -hmm. and their training. So I don't know. I would encourage, I think the best in China is actually word of mouth. Like this person was really good and I would highly recommend them and and asking why they were good. I think that that's important yeah. too, right? Because yeah, somebody could say, Definitely. oh, this was really good. I loved them. But then you find out that they had entirely different goals than you, right? So sure. to ask, mm-hmm. oh, okay, not just were they good, but what did you love about them? Like what did specifically, what were mm-hmm. ways that they helped you? What could they have done better? That sort of thing. Yeah, that definitely. That's a good point to bring up because we all have different perspectives and things that we value more than others. And so, yeah, someone that I love and I think is amazing, <laughs> like you don't really care about that, you know. Yeah. So ask, what did you love about them and what could they do better? Like specifically, what did they do that you appreciated and what are some things that you wish that they had done better? So great. Good questions. All right. Thanks, Jacqueline. Hey, we did it. We talked about USLs. <laughs> uh, it's it's something that I really enjoy talking one-on-one with people about, but I was like concerned yeah. that, like just concerned that we would be able to cover it all coherently. We'll see yeah. after this is edited, and just like everything. how coherent we actually were. <laughs> all right, Jacqueline. We talk about it all. The good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> yes. All right. Until next time. Yeah. Till next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye. I will clack. Clack. Clack.
Blah, I can't talk. <laughs> so I like clacking, clapping and quacking. Clacking. I think it's a bit scatterbrained, but I don't know. It just flows. Where? What? 